Thanks to Buffy for supporting The Secret Room. For $20 off your Buffy comforter, visit Buffy.co and enter promo code SECRET. And thanks to BetterHelp. For 10% off your first month, go to BetterHelp.com secret. What's your secret? My secret is I'm a preschool teacher and I have taken stuff from my kids' lunches when I've been hungry. <laughs> Did you need a minute? I'm good. I'm just trying to not get nervous. <laughs> Today, the heart-wrenching story of a woman who's made a startling discovery. Okay. Hi, my name is Holly, and my secret is that I believe that I discovered the truth about how my father died. And I'll never tell my family. Do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I've got one brother and one sister. I'm both younger. Have you ever told anyone your secret? Yes, I've told my partner and two of my closest friends, but that's all. Okay. Where are you joining me from? So I'm in Sydney. Holly's friends and family were devastated by her father's death. He was just 50 and she was just 20. Tell me about your dad. He was a big, rough Australian man and he was a real softy at times. And now, at the age of 31, Holly will tell us how she found clue after clue. So I was going through Nick's drawer, and I found this letter. After clue. I think he only said it to me because, you know, he was probably eight pints deep. And when she put all the clues together, the puzzle she solved led her to the unexpected discovery. One decade on. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, my life's a soap opera. Welcome to The Secret Room, a podcast about the stories no one ever tells. I'm Ben Ham. Okay, I think we're ready to get started. All right, cool. Let's go. Hi, Holly. Welcome to The Secret Room. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. To get to know you a little better, I was wondering if you could tell me about what life was like when you were growing up. Yeah, so, I mean, it was pretty normal. I was an only child until I was five years old. Lived in a super normal kind of nuclear family. So my mom, my dad, and then my brother and my sister are younger than me. Everything was just plain and normal and I was happy and it was all good, really. My dad was probably the scarier one of the two. How so? Uh, so, <laughs> he was a bit of a scary man at times. He was funny. It was two sides to him. He was a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde, but not in so much of a terrifying way. Um, he didn't go out and murder people at night, you know. So, he was a big, rough Australian man and he was a real softy at times. Every Sunday, we would ride our bicycles to the deli and he would let us eat ice creams for breakfast on Sunday. Mm. It was amazing. That's nice. Yeah, it was really gorgeous. But he was so cheap. He was a bit of a George Costanza. So, (laughs) as like inflation happened in the market, as it does all over the world, we were still only allowed a dollar and a dollar couldn't get you much other than... Like a paddle pop. I don't know if you guys have paddle pops over there. What's that? Oh, they're so good. They're like the most basic ice cream, Mm -hmm. but they're really good. But, you know, as I was getting older, I wanted some fancier stuff and we could still only spend a dollar, you know, 10 years later. Right. (laughs) So, but then he was also, he could be scary and he had a temper. Like I, I I definitely got that from him. I've got a bit of a temper. He was prone to kind of flying off the handles a little bit. So, you knew when you were in trouble- that he, you were going to get the wrath from him. And, and your mom, by contrast, 
How was she? So she she would lay down the law, but she was never terrifying. We could walk all over her. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and we did. <laughs> Kids have a way of, of finding your weakness. Oh, absolutely. And still to this day, my brother and sister don't listen to her. So if she needs to, you know, give them a wind up about something, she does it through me. Hmm. So I tell them off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. So she's she's found her way to you. Oh, yeah. I play a pivotal role now. Yeah. <laughs> and a roof plumber is somebody who installs and repairs like gutters and eaves and stuff? Yes. Down pipes? Yeah, yeah. So he, he ran his own business and he did for years. Okay. Was he good at it? He was. He was very good at it. I, I kind of mentioned before that he was really tough. It was kind of his way or no way quite often. And he would have apprentices work for him. I don't think any of them ever lasted. He had one... I remember him telling me who went out for lunch. He went down to the corner store to get some food and just never came back. Oh, my gosh. He was scared. <laughs> yeah. Goodness gracious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's hard work. You know, you're carrying roof sheets up onto a roof and, oh, I wouldn't be able to do it. But he ended up just solely working for himself because he couldn't work with other people because they think they didn't do the job the way he wanted it done. None of them were good enough. No, no. So he only worked for himself towards the end, yeah. He sounds like a perfectionist and perhaps somebody I'd like to work on my roof for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'd know the job would get done right. The funny thing is our roof was terrible, but everyone else's roof, (laughs) (laughs) everyone else's roof was spot on. (laughs) I guess if he was going to work on your roof, he wasn't going to get paid for it. No, exactly. So what's the point? Sounds like dangerous work. Yeah, it it definitely was. He was really good at it. He actually did, I think I mentioned it in my voice recording uh, when I submitted my secret to you that he'd never had a fall, but I was actually wrong. He did have, now I remember, I would have been a baby. Mum told me that he had one and she got a call and he'd fallen off and hurt his back and couldn't get back up. Fallen off of the roof. Yeah, yeah. So my mum freaked out and went and got him and he was okay. But aside from that, yeah, he was really safe. Well, not safe in the legal sense where you have to abide by, you know, work safety laws. Uh, but he was careful of his own safety. Um, so, yeah, he looked after himself. When you're in a profession like that, safety counts. You're on ladders, you're on roofs all the time. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, carrying, you know, really heavy equipment up there working on it all day like his form of safety though so i don't know if you have them in america but we have these shoes called dunlop volleys okay i don't know if you've heard of them i haven't they're really cheap tennis shoes like super cheap you can get them from like kmart and target for like 15 dollars. and he would wear them on the roof because he found that they had that they had the best grip oh, really? but i was like oh you know there's shoes that are made for your occupation that you could wear <laughs> yeah but he didn't He was a funny man, though. I remember being really young and he would come home and often he'd get paid in cash for some reason. I don't know. But he'd come home and he would have these stacks of cash and he'd get us all in the lounge room and he'd throw it up in the air like he was made of all this money and we'd all scream (laughs) and, oh, my God, and try and steal the $50 notes and then we'd get in a lot of trouble because we stole the $50 note. It was funny. (laughs) It was good. I, I had a really good... Like upbringing with him and my mom, although he was scary, they were really great. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. It was. And back in those days, your parents' relationship was good? It was. It was really good. And I actually, I asked my mom, I think like last year, at what point were things not great? Like how long were you unhappy? And she said that it had only been like two years, but leading up to that, they were madly in love and 
really happy together and a really great team. You told us, of course, already in your secret that your father died. Yes. What year was that? Uh, it was 2009. About 10 years ago. Yep. And can you tell us how you found out? Yeah, that was awful. It's a bit of a long story. Sure. But I can give you the ins and outs. So I was actually at work that day. I was working an office job. And I got a couple of calls from a private number, which I, at the time, I was getting harassed by this girl that I knew growing up. She would call me and prank call me and to try and find out where I lived. That's a whole nother story. So I thought it was her. So I, I answered the phone and it was a female and she said, are you Holly? And I was like, yeah, yes. She said, you need to come home now. And I hung up on her because I thought it was this girl. And then she called again and, and again. And my workmate ended up answering and he said, I, I don't know if that's fake, but if it is, we need to go to the police. But I think that you should call your mum. So I did. Um, and my mum was hysterical. So she put the policewoman back on and this lady said I needed to come home straight away. And so I did, and she asked if I was okay to drive, and I said yes, but I absolutely wasn't. And the whole time, I thought that something was wrong with my mum. I kept screaming at this lady, going, what's wrong with my mum? Is she okay? So anyway, I got out to the parking lot and banged into, like, five cars. <laughs> oh, Like, just bumped them. It wasn't a big one, but I was just like, I don't care, and just kept going. And then the whole drive home, I was trying to call my dad to see what was going on with mum and he wasn't answering I was leaving all these voicemails anyway I got home and <sighs> there were there were two detectives outside my house your heart must have been racing oh my gosh I had no idea what was going on I think I was always closer to my mum but um yeah my brain was like something's wrong with mum something's wrong with mum anyway I got in the house mum was sitting there the first thing I saw was this pamphlet that said what to do when someone close to you dies and I still thought, oh, fuck, my mum's dead, but she's sitting right there in front of me. And then she told me, and then I threw up. What were her words to you? Uh, I, I think it was so straight to the point. I think it just said, your dad's died. She gave me a glass of water, which I remember I couldn't hold. It was like violently shaking. Water was going everywhere. And then she gave me this pamphlet, which... <laughs> How the fuck is that pamphlet supposed to help me? Seems sort of ridiculous. Oh, I know. It's like the cops going, this will help. Wow. It's like some protocol, just like ridiculous. I know. Like, oh, here's a pamphlet to help you cope. It's like I can't even speak or drink water, let alone read. And then I remember the cops came in and tried and, you know, explained to us the process and what was going on and that someone would have to identify him. And then they left and then that was it. We just kind of left to deal with that bombshell with a really shitty pamphlet. <laughs> he wasn't already identified? Well, we ended up finding out they had a gentleman who had worked with my dad for a really long time identify him. I think there's a protocol that you have to have known them for a certain amount of years. And he... I don't know how he was involved or who he was, but he identified him so we wouldn't have to, which was really kind. How how did your father die? He fell off a roof. It was a four-story roof, beautiful view, but yeah, he, so he, he fell off it and that's how he died. So someone found him on the sidewalk. It was 10 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday and someone found him with blood 
coming out of his nose and his mouth and face down, which would have been horrific for that person. And your dad, he, he would have died right away. I hope so. The coroner's report, sorry to go into, I guess, detail, said that like everything was broken. His neck, his back in a few places, his shoulder. It, it was, he, yeah, he, he crumpled. So the, given that his neck broke, I like to think that it was straight away. How tragic. It must have just been, I mean, it's tragic for him. It must have been horrible for you and your family. Oh, it was horrendous. It was really, really crap. And then, you know, it was a weird thing because, you know, like I said, police came and delivered this horrible news with a pamphlet. And then all of a sudden, you know, school's finishing and my brother and sister are still at school. So we're having to figure out how we deliver that to them. And all these people are coming over to try and help us and we don't want people there. All these friends have come over and it's just like go away. (laughs) You know what I mean? Everyone is so kind trying to be there for you, but nothing in that situation helps. You just want to sit in a hole for a while. And so everybody's over, but your brother and sister don't even know yet. No. So my sister was nine and my brother was 14. So no, they don't know. And my mum decided that she didn't want to pick them up from school. Uh So we just waited for them. And I told my brother, and it was awful. It was really awful. So sorry. No, that's okay. Thank you. He um, reacted as I would have expected. Like, I reacted in a similar way. But being the one that has to say that and deliver that hurtful, shitty news is hard. Yeah. How was your mom taking it? I don't know. Initially, she seemed to be doing okay. But then she wasn't. Uh, For the years afterwards, things got really quite bad to the point where my brother was really hard work at the time, being a teenage boy and mum's all of a sudden a single mum, dealing with me who was, you know, thought I was hot shit, (laughs) going out clubbing and drinking so much. And my brother was being, you know, an annoying boy and my sisters are still a baby. And I remember walking into the kitchen once and she was sitting on the floor, like hysterically crying because she just didn't know how to deal with my brother, telling me that she was going to kill herself because she didn't know how to deal with all of this. And I walked into my brother's room and I think this is why he's still scared of me. I walked into my brother's new room and just tore him a new one and was like, this is what you are doing to mum how fucking dare you, et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of shook him a bit. I think that made him realise the gravity of how his actions were affecting her and then us. And so he kind of pulled himself into line a little bit. Good for you. Lay down the law. Oh, thanks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You're welcome. I can be scary. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to cross you. (laughs) So, Yeah. So your mom's dealing, everybody's dealing in their own way. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years go by and you find something interesting, right, Holly? Yeah, I did. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so... Next, Holly discovers something that sheds new light on her parents' relationship, something that gives her fresh perspective on her dad's death.
But first, I want to ask you one question. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or prevents you from achieving your goals? You deserve to be happy, and BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you when you need it. The professionals who work through BetterHelp are licensed and credentialed therapists who are certified by their state's board to provide therapy and counseling. You connect with your professional counselor from wherever you want in a safe and private online environment. You don't have to drive anywhere, and you don't have to wait a long time for an appointment. It's convenient, and when you need to talk to someone, BetterHelp can provide that support quickly in your own space. Your sessions can be scheduled for secure video or phone, whatever works for you. You can even chat and text with your therapist. Get help on your own time, and what you share with your BetterHelp therapist is confidential. And if you ever want to talk to someone different, for whatever reason, you can request a new therapist anytime, and there's no additional charge. BetterHelp's licensed professional counselors specialize in a broad range of areas, including depression, relationships, sleeping, and trauma. I have a special for Secret Room listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com secret. Fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor. Start communicating in under 24 hours. That's BetterHelp.com secret for 10% off your first month. And now, a series of discoveries lead Holly to put some pieces together about her dad's death. I am a class A snoop. Mum was out at work and I was snooping around in the house and... I went into her room (laughs) and was just looking through stuff because it's interesting. Just for the heck of it. Yeah, why not? Okay. (laughs) I'd like to say I I, I don't do that to my partner. That's (laughs) for the record. For the record. (laughs) But I did do it to my mom. I was like, oh, what's going on in this room? And, you know, going around looking for stuff. Anyway, so I was going through a knicker's drawer. God, that sounds bad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay. So I was going through a knicker's drawer. And I found this letter, which obviously I was was intrigued about. So I opened it up and it was a letter that my dad had written. My parents, just before my dad passed away, announced a separation, which we knew about. They announced it at, you know, the dinner table, as you do. It was weird because it was instigated by my mum. But when they told the family, my dad was the cool, calm one and my mum was hysterical. Okay. And, And how long before he passed away? Did they tell you that they were getting separated? I'm going to say three weeks, maybe a month. So I found this letter, and it was a letter that my dad had written my mum, like begging her not to break up with him because of financial reasons. They owned uh, a few properties together that they made money with, and they'd worked really hard to have those set up for their retirement so they could retire early. For the kids, (laughs) actually... He mentioned all of us kids. He said most specifically that he didn't want to leave my little sister because, you know, she was like his baby and they were really close and that my brother needed him because he was going through, you know, the shitty teenage stage. And then he basically said about me, he was like, and, you know, Holly, Holly's fine because, you know, she thinks she can look after herself because at that point I was going out and drinking and partying. So I was like, oh, thanks, Dad. 
<laughs> um, and it was basically just this really emotional letter saying, you know, please don't leave me. We can make this work. And it it made me think back to all of the stuff that I'd witnessed throughout the separation, the, you know, four weeks or so. I can see why my mum wanted to leave my dad because he didn't do a lot around the house. He kind of just took the piss and while he was a good dad, he probably wasn't a great husband. He didn't help a lot. So all of a sudden, he's hanging out the washing and trying to do the dishes. And it's one of the things that breaks my heart the most because I saw him hanging out the washing and he just was doing such a bad job of it. <laughs> he was trying. <laughs> and I know. And it's just, you know, he was so bad at it. There was no technique. <laughs> but he was trying because he wanted her to stay with him but my mum at that point was just at her wits end and there was nothing that was going to stop that from happening she'd actually bought a house which she was going to move into you knew that at the time yeah so when they announced it it was also mum's bought a house and the plan was that I would live with dad my brother and sister would live with my mum but my sister would alternate between the two so it was all set out yeah that must have been quite a bombshell at dinner i mean it must have been oh yeah you know, it must have really rocked your world yeah well, i mean i think they were surprised at how well we took it because we knew it was coming i think mum had been sleeping in a different room for months and mum was pretty immature about the breakup like she'd confide in me about what dad was doing to piss her off while my dad Never let it show, never showed his emotions or how upset he was. I had no idea how upset he was because he didn't want us to know, which was lovely of him, but also I wish I knew, you know. A couple of years after your father's death, you found that letter. Yes. But you already knew that there was problems in the marriage. Yes. So what did that letter mean to you at the time you found it? I think it was the first thing that showed me how broken dad was. Because like I said, he never really spoke about it. As an example, I remember they had this massive fight one night. I was home. They were trying to sort out the properties that they owned. Uh, my mum wanted to sell them and my dad didn't because he thought it was a bad financial decision. And mum just cracked it, screamed at him and left the house and drove to her mum's house. And then my dad just sat down and watched some television and I kind of came up to him and I was like, you know, I think mum's being fucking ridiculous, frankly. I think she's behaving like a child. <laughs> I was just kind of there for him, you know, acknowledging that that was a shit situation and, you know, you're not in the wrong, dad. And I didn't realise how much that affected him until after he passed away and my auntie, so his sister, told me that that had really affected him, that I had seen that and acknowledged that, mum was being a bit childish at the time. It sounds to me like one of the stark contrasts that that letter pointed out to you was that when he had announced the separation that he was sort of taking the lead on it as yeah. the head of the household. and Yes. But then you saw in the letter that really it was your mom that was driving the separation and he was really just begging for it not to happen. Yeah. It was really heartbreaking because he was such a strong Australian man and the stereotype of men here, you know, the working class kind of Aussie battler, I guess, where you don't show your feelings, you're a man's man, you know, women. I mean, it's not the case anymore, but it was in that older generation. So to see that he had these softer feelings 
and that he did feel these things that, you know, the rest of the world feels, but he didn't feel comfortable enough to, I guess, acknowledge it or, or talk to about it or seek help from his friends maybe or, you know. And Holly, you mentioned to me also in, in your voicemail that I think it was about this time when you started to have depression and anxiety yeah. and suicidal thoughts. Yeah. So that was maybe two or three years ago, but yeah, it was really strange. So ever since dad died, I started dealing with anxiety. Remember I had my first anxiety attack while a car was in motion and I felt I needed to get out of the car. So I got out of the car. While it was moving. While the car was moving. It was going slow, but it was just such fight or flight that my body was like, you need to flight, essentially. What did you think was going to happen? I don't know. I My heart started racing. I felt like I was having like a heart attack or something. And I just had this overwhelming, anyone who's had anxiety can relate, is just this overwhelming feeling of dread and danger that is nonsense because you're not actually in a real threat, but your body thinks you are. So I just, I felt confined and I was just like, get me the fuck out of this car. So <laughs> that's exactly what I did. And my poor boyfriend at the time <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. But you weren't injured. No, I wasn't injured. Okay. I wasn't injured. Okay. My brain was, but I, I was okay. So I was dealing with anxiety and I had learned to manage it. But then all of a sudden I got hit with depression, which I'd never, ever experienced in my life. And it was really horrible. I'd never understood the bite of people who have depression because I've got a lot of friends who suffer with it, but I never got it until I got it. And I couldn't get out of bed. I was constantly thinking about how it would be better if I just wasn't around. I was scared because I was having these kind of suicidal thoughts. I knew that I didn't want to do it, but I was scared that my brain would allow me to do it, if that makes sense. Must have been terrifying. Yeah, so it was this kind of battle between trying to not let that take over. So I dealt with that for a few months, and I was an awful person to be around. I was... And I finally went to the doctor and burst into tears and she helped me and I went and spoke to someone and got on some amazing medication, <laughs> which every time I go for a repeat, my doctor is like, oh, you know, do you want to wean off? I'm like, no, nah, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it gives you. me awesome dreams. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Tell me about a, yeah. an awesome dream you've had. Oh, every night. They're so vivid. Really? I never used to really dream. And now every night, without a doubt, I remember them and they're always so strange. And it's just become normal. And I've, yeah, they're great. I love them. <laughs> I'm so fascinated. Ah, uh, oh gosh. Okay. I'm trying to remember. I had one last night, but you know, you always forget them so quickly. Right. I know. I, I'll see if I can think of one and I'll get back to you. I know I had one last night and I always tell my boyfriend and he's like, did you know the most boring thing that you can tell someone is what your dream is about? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care. You will listen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, I found someone who's interested <laughs> in hearing my dreams. But yeah, so I dealt with this depression and anxiety. I kind of went about it alone um, because my family doesn't talk about feelings or mental health or really any health for that matter. Things are taboo in my family, which is weird because I'm so kind of liberal and outspoken and I'll talk about anything disgusting, <laughs> but my family's not. <laughs> 
and they think I'm disgusting. So, and so I didn't have anyone in my family to really talk to about it. And so I, I you know, my doctor mentioned to me that often it it, it is uh, something that runs in your family. And I thought, you know, I wonder where that's come from because no one's ever spoken about it really. So, yeah. You weren't aware of any depression or anxiety that your mom or your dad might have had at all? No, not at all. Hmm. No. But you started to think about that. Yeah. And like I was kind of saying before, with men in Australia, particularly of that older generation, there is that idea of you don't talk about your feelings. And you know what? That's not just Australia. That's all, all over. You know, men need to be tough and strong, which is bullshit. But I think it also happens with women too. Less so now, but I think, you know, my mum is at the generation where if she was going through something like that, she probably wouldn't immediately seek help. Unlike now where it's a little more accepted to do that and to talk about it. Yeah. You sought out some of your dad's friends, right, Holly? Yeah, I did. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so... A few of my dad's friends that I grew up around have been passing away, unfortunately. And one of them did recently and we went to, they had a little celebration for his life and it was a dress up party because who passed away loved dress up. So it was great. But I saw all of these people that I'd grown up with so much because my parents were such social butterflies. They were constantly hanging around Big Grits people. There was one particular guy. Frank is my brother and sister's godfather. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Yeah. Godfather. I don't have a godfather because I'm not baptized or religious, but my siblings are. <laughs> I'm the black sheep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he came up to me and he was talking about, you know, he was so lovely. He's like, I'm always here for you. And we exchanged numbers and it was really great to see them all. So about a year ago, a bit less, it was coming up to my dad's an anniversary of his death. So I wanted to organize for all of his mates to get together because I had such a nice time seeing them. And we went to this pub that my dad and him all used to go to. It was so lovely. It was really, really beautiful. And actually, completely side note, but when we were there, my mum came along and brought the engagement ring that my dad had given her to gift to me. And it was so beautiful. Yes, I'm wearing that now. It's really nice. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so we're all there and we're all drinking and sharing lovely stories and it was beautiful and amazing, but I drank too much. <laughs> it's a trait of our family. Um, and Frank, the godfather, drank too much. It's a trait of his family. Um, so we're all boozed and everyone had kind of left, but there was me, Frank, my partner, and a couple of other stragglers. And that's when Frank dropped the bombshell on me that I shared with you. Would you like me to share it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll be back in just a moment as The Secret Room continues. I've been traveling the last couple of weeks and I'm really eager to get home. And do you know what one of the number one things I'm looking forward to getting back to? My Buffy comforter. Sleeping in hotel rooms and new places is nice and everything. And it's always great to get away, but I definitely notice the difference without the warm and soft comfort my Buffy never fails to give me. Secret Room listeners, you get $20 off a Buffy comforter by visiting Buffy.co and entering promo code SECRET. Buffy's bedding is earth-friendly and cruelty-free, which aside from the comfort, are my top favorite things about it. There's no down. The Buffy Breeze's 100% plant-based design is breathable and keeps you at a comfortable temperature in a way that polyester and downfill comforters cannot. And my question to you is, if you can choose 100% plant-based bedding that's better for you and better for the earth, why not? Even if you're just thinking about getting a new comforter, give Buffy a try. 
There is no risk with their generous return offer. If you don't love it, return it at no cost. Secret Room listeners, for $20 off your Buffy comforter, visit Buffy.co and enter promo code SECRET. That's Buffy.co, promo code SECRET, for $20 off. And now, Frank, the Godfather's bombshell, and the truth about Holly's father's demise. So he mentioned to me, we were talking about the day that my dad passed away, and he mentioned to me that it wasn't an accident. So we had all presumed for the 10 years that he's been gone, he'd just fallen from the roof, and the coroner had recorded it as an accident. So legally it was identified to be that way, that it was just an accident. So when Frank said it it wasn't an accident, did you suspect foul play? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's an odd thing to say. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, actually, uh, so my mum had had the day off work the day that it, he died. And I was like, oh, my God, my mum murdered him. Wow. But I I don't think she did that at all. <laughs> but that crossed through your mind because of the strife they were having. Yes. Yes. Okay. But with no uncertain terms, I can say that my mum did not murder him. Uh, <laughs> just went through your mind. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my God, my life's a soap opera. And then he mentioned to me that it's widely accepted and known in his friendship circle that, um, although, you know, can't be proved, we'll never know, but that it was a suicide. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that was shit. Nobody had ever said that to you before. No. But all the friends have talked about this. And they all knew, yeah, sort of peers. Everyone accepts this to be the case, except for my immediate family. So my mom, my brother, and my sister. Goodness gracious. So Holly, this this must have hit you like a, a ton of bricks. Oh my God, it was so awful. What a thing to say. Yeah. And, you know, I I don't think he would have said it to me. I think they've not told us for a reason. I think because we were so blissfully ignorant. I think he only said it to me because, you know, he was probably eight pints deep <laughs> by that point. The inhibitions are gone and my inhibitions are gone. I was like, let's talk. Why does he think, why does everybody think your father yeah. committed suicide? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so multiple reasons I've come to find out. So I actually asked him why initially. My mum was gone from the drinks by this point. And he said, honestly, these are his exact words. He said, Honestly, we think in spite of your mum, because he was so shitty at my mum and mad that she was leaving him, that they think that he was an asshole enough to do that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but I don't think it, that would be the reason. That, so, um, they, they think that your father killed himself despite your mother because she was leaving him. Yeah. Yeah. But you think that he did commit suicide, but for some other reason. Yeah. I don't think he would have done it despite my mum. So there's been multiple things that have kind of I've been thinking about since I found out about this that lead me to believe that he did it, not despite my mum. One of his best friends had committed suicide about a week before dad passed. I think that maybe that got an idea in his head. So this man who had also done that, his wife was leaving him. My mum said to me, after this other man, my dad's friend, passed away, that she was worried that my dad would do something like that. It was a shit thing to say to me. She said it to me. When did she say that? So it was about a week. It would have been maybe five days before he before he did die. Oh. Yeah. So, so I was like, that's a shit thing to say to your kid. Like, 
why would you put that on me? But also, it's good. I never thought that he'd do something like that, but obviously my mum, my mum knew him better than anyone and must have had an inkling that that might be something he was capable of. With regards to the funeral of his friend, I remember my dad was very much planning to go over, but then all of a sudden didn't and wasn't going to go over. That leads me to believe that maybe he'd planned this because why go for a trip over to Melbourne and then back if, you know, you're just going to come home and and do the same thing and, 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 you know, complete suicide. I also found out that he had said to one of his friends that if he would ever get a terminal illness, this was when I was really young, that if he would ever get a terminal illness, he would just disappear. And his friend said to him, well, that's not really fair on your family. And he was like, I don't care. I'd just disappear. Oh, there's more. (laughs) My auntie, his sister, told me that she had spoken to dad a couple of days before he passed away and said that he sounded extremely, extremely stressed. And she said that she'd never heard him like that and that it was to the point where she was not okay ending the call because he seemed so not okay. I think all of that in combination, I think that he was just overwhelmed. He didn't know how to move on or be okay or be happy with my mum leaving him and, you know, his life being turned up like this, that it was too hard. And, yeah, I think he just saw it as the easiest option because he probably couldn't see himself being happy, I guess. That's what I think, at least. I don't think he did it despite my mum. He didn't hate her that much. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, he wanted to stay with her. Exactly. As evidenced by the letter you read. Exactly. And that's, I think, a really shitty thing to do, to do something like that in spite of a person. And I don't think my dad was shitty. (laughs) It's an extreme form of revenge. (laughs) So did you straighten your dad's friends out on at least that, you know, interpretation of events? I didn't. I haven't spoken to them since. Not because I was upset, but just that's kind of our relationship. We probably chat once or twice a year. When he told me at the time, though, you know, I was two bottles of wine in kind of thing. Boozed up. Yeah, and was just not able to think it through, really, I guess. Yeah. Next time I see them, I probably will. Looking back, Mm -hmm. I imagine that when you were growing up with your father, you never saw him as somebody who would be capable of committing suicide. Oh, God, no. Yeah, but with the benefit of hindsight, do you, you know, you obviously believe this happened. What is it? that you see in your father now that you didn't see then that makes you believe that he could do that? I think he had a temper and like a short fuse and stubborn as shit. So he could get cranky really easy. And I think he was very emotional in that sense in that he could fly off the handle very quickly, prone to feeling really strongly one way or the other about whatever was going on. Um, But I never, ever thought, and still with hindsight, would ever guess that he'd do something like this, ever. He hid, like, his emotions so well. Not his emotions of anger and happiness, but of sadness. I think he probably never wanted to be seen as being weak. I never would have guessed. Or that I'd have to deal with it, you know? (laughs) You grow up, you're like, this happens to other people. This doesn't happen to me. This is shit. Why'd this happen to me? (laughs) So, Holly, you don't have, you know, you don't have definitive proof. No. That he committed suicide. I don't. But you feel sure he did. Yeah. 
Very sure. Do you have any doubt? No. I've kind of stacked it up. So, you know, I went 10 years of accepting his death and going through the grieving process like you do and thinking it through and being okay with it. And now that I've thought of his death in this other way, it makes a lot more sense to me than the accident. He worked on roofs since I was five. So it's like 20 or so, a long time. And he had that one accident, which I mentioned earlier. But this was a four-story roof and he'd been on it for two days leading up to it. He'd actually only gone back to this roof to fix up some minor things. Why would he fall, you know? He'd, he'd only done it once. The odds, the odds of him falling are so minuscule but from what he was going through emotionally and from what I know like I mentioned earlier about his friend passing away and what his other friend said to me um it it makes a hell of a lot more sense than it being an accident I think I don't know whether it was an opportunity thing that maybe he was up there and went you know what fuck it let's go or he thought it out but i I really do strongly believe that that's what happened. He had planned it in advance. Yeah. Yeah, and that he, yeah, did commit suicide. Have you discussed your suspicions with your family? Oh, God, no. (laughs) No way. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Uh, How would they react? Oh, badly. Do you think? Badly, yeah. We're a funny family. We're really close, but we don't talk about our emotions. You know, I remember one year going to my dad's grave and asking my family if they wanted to come along and they were so uncomfortable and then so was I and we were uncomfortable being sad in each other's presence and because my mum, my mum's remarried since and um, I was watching her responses as proof of, are you sad, you know what I mean? And so we're funny with talking about it and things like that. I don't want to put myself... It's a bit selfish of me, but in a situation where I have to have those feelings with them. And also my mum is happy, really happy, and I don't want her to not be happy. I I don't see any benefit to her knowing, and I definitely don't see any benefit to my brother and sister knowing. Now, about your mum, don't you think that given that they were having trouble in their marriage then, they were separating, and given the comments that she made to you just in advance of his suicide that he could do that, that she might not have her own suspicions? I think she probably does. You know, I thought of it. I certainly thought of it, but I never acknowledged it because that's too hard to deal with. And it wasn't until someone else acknowledged it to me that I really had to process it. And so I think that my mum's thought of it, but I don't think that she's willing to acknowledge it. And so accepting that it was an accident is easier and more comfortable. Have you told your mum that you found the letter? No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Then she'd know I snoop. <laughs> so you just tucked it back in the drawer and she never knew. I don't know where it is now, but, you know, I I got a tattoo soon after he died on my foot of my dad's handwriting and he never wrote in cards. It was always my mum. So I actually used that letter to trace his handwriting. So I have it tattooed on my foot and mum asked where I got his handwriting from and I was like, oh. I just went through his workbook, you know, pieced together some letters. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, she has no idea. So it's staring at her straight in the face every time I have my shoes off wow. that I've read it. 
That's amazing. And and what does the tattoo say? It says love dad. Oh. So it's it's almost like the end of a letter. And that's how he signed the letter to your mom, love dad. He didn't. He used those two words though. So I just pieced them together. That's a beautiful tribute. Thank you. He would have hated it. He hated tattoos. <laughs> but it's for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stuff him. <laughs> and and you read it every day. Yes, exactly. I do. It's always on my foot there. <laughs> to be seen. Yeah. Exactly. That's lovely. Yeah. Well, Holly, it's an amazing story. Thanks. Bit of a sad one, but yeah. It is sad. I wish you peace with it. Thank you. I'm I'm getting there. I'm going through the grieving process again from scratch. Currently I'm mad, but then we'll get past that. We'll get to acceptance. <laughs> You've been through all the stages before, so... Exactly. I know it. <laughs> That's good. You sound like you have good humor about it and... I do. And you know how to deal with it and that's... I guess that's half the battle or maybe even more. Exactly. Exactly. you got to have a sense of humor. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. No worries. Thank you for listening and for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. With the revelations about her father's death, Holly is grieving his loss all over again. And while the context she's discovered paints a sadder and more tragic demise than the one she thought was true, it's one that makes sense and gives her a greater sense of closure. In our companion podcast, The Secret Room Unlocked, Holly tells us more about her tattoo and about her dreams, including a remarkable one about her dad. Susie Lark hosts The Secret Room Unlocked, where you get access to all kinds of great bonus Secret Room content in thanks for your support. Unlocked is available exclusively at patreon.com slash secret room. Go get it. In pictures, see Holly and her dad. There's a great shot of them together when she was a girl. Also, a picture of Grandma's ring on Holly's finger, classic paddle pops, and Dunlop volleys. See all these pictures on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. They're waiting for you. Our handle, at Secret Room Pod. This episode was produced in the Philippines. See my pictures on social. I'm heading back to D.C. in a couple of days. Thanks to my team for deftly handling intercontinental production requirements. Susie Lark, Sashel Brooks, and Alessandra Nigro. Music and theme are by Breakmaster Cylinder. And Chet is the sound engineer. Listen to us on any podcast app, including Apple Podcasts. Do you have an embarrassing secret to tell? Send it to me at our website, secretroompod.com. This is The Secret Room, a podcast about the stories no one ever tells. I'm Ben Ham. Pardon, Ben. Pardon, Holly. <laughs> <laughs>